Well, I am excited to have the opportunity to share with you here today. And we're going to be looking at the life of somebody who is foundational in our faith. And we're going to be looking at the life of Moses, and specifically when he was called by God. So I want to invite you to lean in right now. Let's take a look here at Exodus chapter 3. In verse 1, it says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, just to back up a little bit and share a little background for you, um, we first find Moses in Exodus chapter 2. And he's born uh, around the 15th century BC in Egypt to his parents, Amram and Jochebed. Now, um, he had an older sister, Miriam, and he also had an older brother, Aaron. But Moses himself, he was born at a time when there was immense persecution that was happening for the people of Israel. Uh, at this time, they were slaves in Egypt. And uh, the, the people there in Egypt had started to see how the Israelites were, were just growing in number. And so the Pharaoh at that time, he decided that, that he needed to kind of quash things a bit. And so he placed this decree in place where all of the firstborn males were to be thrown into the Nile River. You know, I love Jochebed, uh, Moses' mom, because... She was a little, she was a little bit gangster. Um, she placed him in a basket and then she placed him in the Nile. She listened to the, the decree of the Pharaoh, but she didn't quite exactly follow it the way that, uh, that he meant for it to. So Moses was placed in a basket and placed in the reeds by the Nile River. And then he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and given back to his mom, and get this, she was given pay to take care of her own son. And then he was later adopted into Pharaoh's household and uh, raised with Egyptian education and customs. Now, Moses lived in Pharaoh's household up until he was 40 years old. And can you imagine the lifestyle that he was accustomed to and the kinds of things that he was surrounded by? Um, and yet, Moses was somebody who uh, cared about injustice. And so when he was about 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian that was beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And he just had to do something about that situation. But Moses didn't quite know exactly how to respond. He didn't respond in the best way. He saw this event taking place and looking around, can I tell you something? That if you have to look around to see who's watching when you do something, that might be something you want to kind of watch out for there. That's a bad sign. So Moses stepped out and he killed the Egyptian. Now, he thought he was in the clear, but the word of this event spread. The Pharaoh found out and Moses fled to Midian. There, he settled down, he met a wife, um, he got married, he worked for Jethro for about 40 years. His first 40 was in the palace, and his second 40 was in the pasture. 
You think about how it started versus how it's going. You know, for Moses, he started out with all the promise in the world. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. He had everything about the the greatest nation on the planet at that time at his fingertips. And yet his second 40 years was spent in the pastures. It was spent taking care of sheep in much more humble circumstances. I wonder, you know, can we identify with Moses' story there? Maybe that's us. Maybe we started out with a sense of promise, a sense of, you know, God's going to do something in my life. I am going to amount to something. And yet right now, as we look at our circumstances, we might think, man, I thought I was going to be a somebody, but right now I'm a nobody. Maybe life has knocked you around a bit. And now you think that, man, what, what can be done with my life? I want to tell you, though, that the hard knocks of life can develop us and build character in ways that the good times just simply can't. So I want to encourage you as well, don't allow the, or excuse me, don't confuse prominence with significance. Let me say that again. Don't confuse prominence with significance. You can have a life of significance, a life of meaning, a life that matters for something, and not necessarily have a life of prominence. Significance means that your life counts for something, and in the long run, that means a lot more than being in the spotlight of prominence. Now, when I think about people who live lives of significance, I think about somebody like Hazel Virgiline Brown. I'm sure none of you know that name, but I know that name because Hazel was my stepmom. She stepped into a situation where she saw that there was a, a young boy who needed a mother in his life. My mom, my biological mom, had passed away when I was three years old. And so when I was in fourth grade, Hazel came into the picture and she was my mom. She raised me. She loved me. She nurtured me. And I experienced love through Hazel. She lived a life of significance. She made an impact on my life, but she didn't live a life of prominence. I want to tell you that you can live a life of significance where your life matters to somebody else. Maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for the people in your workplace. But your life can make a difference. Now, it's not guaranteed, but significance can lead to prominence. Those who are faithful and little, after all, can be trusted with much more. For Moses, the good character that he developed in Midian was exactly what God was looking for. So we pick it up here in verse 2. There, at that mountain of God, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, 
And Moses said, here I am. Now, God used a burning bush to get Moses' attention. Now, I found that God is really creative in how he gets our attention. For Moses, it was a burning bush. For Joseph, he had a dream. For Isaiah, he saw a vision. Jonah encountered a big fish. Saul saw a flash of light, fell off his horse, and then was blinded. Now, for you, you might have a vision or have a dream or God might speak to you in a different way, but it also can take place through the tough times, the tough experiences that we have in life. Maybe it's a tragedy that God uses to get our attention. Maybe it's a breakup, the death of a loved one, a lawsuit, an unexpected diagnosis. Whatever it is, God is wanting to speak to us as individuals. Now, God used the burning bush to get Moses' attention, but he struck up a conversation with him next to take it further. Verse 5, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Wow. Now, we serve a God who is loving, who is gracious, who is compassionate, and we see that here in this passage as well. But let's not forget that the presence of our God is not something to be treated lightly. Now, we emphasize God's love. We emphasize how, how gracious He is, and that's all true. And God is also supremely holy. We can approach Him boldly, but let's also approach him with a sense of awe and reverence. You know, a few years ago, I took my kids, my wife and I, we took our kids to the San Diego Zoo and we loved going there to see the lion's exhibit. And there was this male lion that was lying down just a few feet away from us. We were separated from that lion by uh, some plexiglass, and we knew that we were safe, and yet I could see how awesome this creature was. The, um, just the fierce nature of this lion. And yet I've also seen some videos online of, um, you know, maybe some zoos that don't have the same type of protection. And um, I don't know why it's the case, but it's always the guys who start sticking their fingers through the, the bars and wanting to get closer to the lion, wanting to pet the lion, wanting to prove maybe how tough they are. And uh, you can expect that um, it's not going to end well for them. Well, we want to make sure that as we approach our God, he's He's maybe not going to bite our hand off, but we do want to approach him with awe and reverence. I love this passage from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where these four children, Lucy, Susan, Edmund, and Peter, are in this magical land of Narnia. This is a book that was written by C.S. Lewis, and they're talking about Aslan, the return of Aslan to the land of Narnia. And Aslan in this story represents Jesus. So Lucy and Susan are talking to a couple of the, the creatures there, some beavers um, who um, can speak. And they're talking about the return of Aslan and his character and his nature. And this is from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mrs. Beaver 
Mr. Beaver said sternly, Aslan, a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor, emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or, ju or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I want to tell you here today that our God is good. Being in his presence, we should come in with awe and reverence. And yet, he is good. Going back to Exodus in verse 6. Then God speaks back to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. You know, what I love here is that God cares about the here and now. He cares about the plight of his people as they're in slavery in Egypt. And he's also thinking generationally. We might do well to expand our perspective beyond just the here and now. See, God describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So for us, rather than just thinking about the here and now, the next five minutes, what if we were to expand our perspective and, and to be looking at the next five years or maybe even the next 50 years? In the here and now, maybe we can get discouraged because we think that Things are tough in, in culture today and in society today that, that Christians are under attack because of what's taken place in society and culture. But if we're looking ahead, we can be making different decisions so that we can set a different trajectory for not just our generation and our life, but for our kids and for the generations to come. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I, I don't know about you, uh, when I first would look at things like this, I, I would think about literal milk and honey flowing through this land, and that's not what this is talking about. That would be kind of strange. No, milk comes from cattle. It comes from sheep. It comes from goats. It, what this is saying is that the land that God is going to bring them into is a land that can support all the livestock. And it's a land that's flowing with honey. Honey comes from bees, and bees produce honey from uh, the, the plants, from the flowering plants and the, the produce that's there in the land. And so what God is saying is that I've got a land of abundance that is before you, and I want to bring my people out from slavery into a land of freedom and abundance. So he says, 
So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Notice that. Verse 8, so I have come, is what God says. And then he instructs Moses, so now go. I have come, so now go. Now, God could have done all of this by himself. You know, he's powerful after all. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who, as we look later in, in this passage and as we see uh, Moses speaking to Pharaoh, he's the one who causes all of these plagues to happen within the, the land of Egypt. So why get Moses involved? You know, it's because God works through people to accomplish his purpose. Who is he raising up right now here in this generation as we're seeing a need, perhaps greater than we've ever identified in our lifetimes, for people to stand up for the principles and the purpose of God? Who is it that God is raising up in this generation? Maybe God is speaking to you so that you can make a difference for other people. But God said to Moses, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Now get that. Moses said, who am I? Now isn't that the million dollar question? Maybe at some point in time, Moses might have thought, hey, you know, I could do something about this. Maybe when he was 40 years old, after he had lived in the house of Pharaoh and, and been raised up with that Egyptian education and known what it was to have privilege, maybe, maybe he would have thought, yeah, I can do something about this. But things maybe are a little different for him now. After murdering the Egyptian, running off into Midian and living the last 40 years in more humble circumstances, things had changed a bit for Moses. And he started to question himself. Who am I? Who am I? Maybe like most of us, Moses was seeing himself defined by his past. He was thinking about all the mistakes that he had made, where he had come from and where he now was. He was thinking about how his life was the, the sum total of all his past decisions, and that meant that there were certain options that just weren't there for him anymore. And so he was thinking, man, maybe at one point in time, but not now, not after what I've done. Who am I? So many people today, I think, are asking this question. They're believing that their past decisions, they're believing that the mistakes that they've made, they're believing that how they feel on the inside, uh, or they're believing that what current culture says about them is what defines who they are. Maybe that's what you believe about yourself. As you ask that question, who am I? You relate yourself to the world around us, and you, you think that, oh, I'm just what culture or society says I am. Well, who am I? I'm a husband. I, I'm a father. And I, I serve on our church leadership. I'm a PhD physicist. You know, all of those things are true. 
But those are not the things that define who I am. They're aspects of who I am, and they've helped to shape me, but they did not make me. I want to tell you here today that the things that have happened to you in the past, yes, they might have shaped your life, but they did not make you. Before I am any of these things, a father, a husband, whatever else, I am a child of God. Psalm 139 says that you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What do you know about who God says you are? You know, I know that I was created on purpose and for a purpose. And I want you to know that so are you. There's no sin that's too great. There's no shame that's too deep that God cannot bring forgiveness and healing through Jesus. In him, you're accepted, you're loved, and through him, you have all that you need to face what is ahead of you. Now, Moses, he asked that question, who am I? And I want to tell you, it was the wrong question. Moses was focused on himself. When God answered Moses, he wisely brought Moses and the focus back to something else. He said, I will be with you. Rather than looking at all the reasons why Moses may or may not have been qualified to, to go out on the mission that God had for him, God simply said, I'm going to be with you. God promised his presence. And so, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, today, a name may just be something that sounds good. Something that uh, uh, maybe you think about with your, your husband or, or your wife and you try to figure out, uh, okay, this first name sounds great with this last name. That's what my wife and I did when we were thinking about the names of our kids. How is this going to sound together? We also thought about, you know, the potential nicknames that they might have or, or ways that, you know, kids, other kids, you know, sometimes they can be a little cruel and, and make fun of them. And so we thought about what ways could those names be turned around. But it's not just about something that sounds good. In this culture especially, a name meant something. No, in Hebrew, a name is a sign of who that person is. It's a distinctive mark that captures the essential character of that person. So, when Moses is asking God, who should I say sent me? It's not just asking for a name. Moses is asking about the character of God. So, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. In Hebrew, eye, asher, eye. Part of what this means is that God is not limited to any one particular domain. 
you know, in that culture, they had all kinds of different gods. The God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the hills, the God of the valleys. And God is not limited to just one thing or the other. He rules and reigns over all. He doesn't just rule and reign over the sun or the moon or the hills or the harvest. No, he is Lord over all. That is who our God is. And so for us here today, what are we to learn from all this? As God speaks out his name and tells Moses, I am who I am. I want to tell you that part of what that means for you is that whatever it is that you need God to be in your life, he is. You need him to be your provision, he is. You need him to be your peace, he is. You need him to bring comfort, he is. You need him to bring righteousness into your life, and he is. Our God is who he says he is. Let's not let our sense of self be tied up in our circumstances or in our past. Let's not let our sense of self be just dictated to us by what culture says about us today. You know, those things can be important in how we relate to other people or what's happened in our past that does help to shape us. But more important than any of that is knowing who we are in relation to our God. He is the one, after all, who created us. He is the one who set us up with a purpose. So let's look to him first. Let's seek him first. And everything else begins to make sense in the light of his glory and grace.